This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Welcome in to Half Measures, episode 92. We are closing in on the big 100, and here's the man who started it all when he said to me, Paul, we should do a podcast. It's Dan Whiting. Kia Dan. God, it's real time suck, isn't it, Paul? When I when I asked you if you want to do a podcast, I didn't think you'd want to do 100 episodes. No, well, I was only signing up for like a dozen, max. And Yeah, I know. Look, they, were, they were sporadic too when we started. They were like every, there was like a month between our first episodes. It's incredible. Now you can set your watch by half measures four o'clock every Friday without fail. Without fail. Through all the holidays, all the summer, all the winter, rain or shine, we will deliver. We'll at the Pony Express. Do I get Christmas off? Uh, you'll have to work it, but you will get a Christmas lunch. Okay, that's good. I don't know about you, where it's blisteringly hot here where I am in the Wellington region. What about you? Oh, it's smoking. I, I feel like so, so warm. And it's 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 almost kind of nice to be able to work from home, isn't it? Like it is. not have to wear the full office attire. 100%. A full suit of armor. There's something really satisfying about being on a work call, knowing you've got shorts on and no, no socks. It's um, yeah. it's really satisfying. Free, isn't it? Free the league. Summer has 100% arrived, I think. And thanks to air conditioning, you and I are still able to stay inside and watch lots of um, television, which is great. I think Sony summed it up best when they were like, get your PlayStation 10. Uh, I think they might have been on PlayStation 2 or something, and it's stuck with me ever since. Like, I'm all about that indoor 10. That, that's where I do my best work. 100%. Um, so on the menu today, we've got some Yellowstone. We've got our Walking Dead. We've got a Roald Dahl movie. And of course, we've got our peak performance. But first of all, Dan, in time on a tradition, what have you been watching? Well, thank you for asking, Paul. So I have finished off C season two. So talked about this uh, a little bit on the pod of late. So this is uh, a TV show that you can watch on Apple TV. If you're new to the pod, this is basically a, a dystopian future where the human race has lost the ability uh, to see. Everyone is born blind until... Uh, there's a prophecy where some kids will be born who can see. And so stars Jason Momoa. I absolutely loved season one. I really enjoyed season two, but I do have a couple of complaints. One of the things that I enjoyed the most about season one is I felt like in this dystopian future, it was more about tribes of people moving around, um, fighting other tribes. Season two has obviously quadrupled the budget. Now mm. we've got like big cities. We've got like big, almost kind of feels like Game of Thrones level kind of um, wars against different kingdoms and it's it's still really good it just feels on such a grander scale and I kind of liked the the more sort of rawer rougher edge of of season one still a still a very good tv show lots of twists and turns lots of fascinating characters um, I'm really intrigued to see where season three is going to go I would say my one other complaint about this tv show a lot of scenes filmed at night and you know where it's just hard to see what's going on mm. and you're already I don't wonder whether it was intentional whether they were trying to sort of make the audience feel kind of limited 
um, with obviously leaving, losing the sense of sight, but a lot of really dark scenes. So that was a little bit frustrating. But look, this is a great TV show. Highly recommend uh, checking it out if you've got Apple TV, particularly if you're into that dystopian future vibe. You like a sort of a almost kind of like a Game of Thrones element. It is quite a violent TV show, and and it not constantly, but you know, there's there's some pretty epic fight scenes in this series. It's interesting you sort of make the um, the the reference to Game of Thrones because when I sort of just look at the photo gallery, just you know from a distance, if you weren't looking closely, you could you could reasonably guess if you were to guess, oh that that looks like it could be Game of Thrones. It has that look, has that lighting that you talked about. The costumes all look really you know high quality that you would expect with that sort of a show. So um, it's, yeah, it's an interesting comparison. And I see it's only see I see it's only. Um, 17 episodes so when you said if you've got apple tv and you like a dystopian future i'm like i'm ticking a lot of boxes here i reckon i might i might annoy you and come into this late yeah no look i, I would highly recommend it and what's kind of interesting about it is so this is set um, a couple of hundred years in the future so people are living in amongst old buildings there's old aircraft that are like you know um in amongst fields and trees and things but they have obviously gone back to a, a simpler time where people are using, you know, swords and they've they've made armor and there's kind of tribal warfare, and so there's some really interesting concepts in there, um, and I think this is probably one of Jason Momoa's best pieces of work. Like he's he's just fantastic in this. I absolutely love his character as uh, Baba Vass. He's such a a strong lead and he's he's a real weapon um, when it comes to any combat that needs to happen. I see. That um, Dave Bautista is on the front, on the poster, and he's got second billing. And then I also see he hasn't been in hardly that many episodes. So um, is he kind of yeah. just new and up and coming for this season or what? So he is a season two feature. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so he, he is introduced in the, in the first episode of season two. And yeah, so he's only been in half the episodes. But again, I think Dave Bautista has done a fantastic job of making the transition from wwe wrestler into um you know top quality movies and tv shows obviously he's drax and guardians of the galaxy but he's able to really sort of separate himself whereas you know like some people like let's say john cena i see john cena as john cena the wrestler mm. even in a, t in a tv show or movie but i don't think that's the same case for uh, dave batista or Dwayne johnson yeah and his his um his cv is getting better his resume is getting better and better right with um guardians with with james bond i mean there's a lot of he's really getting some some really big roles um whereas as you say someone like john cena perhaps perhaps isn't yeah indeed so yeah so that's what i've been that's one of the shows i've been watching so check it out on apple tv c s e e uh always confusing when you say it to people they're like c c c what see the letter anyway uh, a couple of other things, just sort of little bits and pieces that I've been watching. So um, continuing the watch of Dexter New Blood. So we're three episodes into this new season of Dexter, still having a really great time, loving the homage they're playing to the different characters. Story's interesting. Um, it's bringing back some great Dexter memories, but it feels like a new show at the same time. Uh, Samara's still enjoying it as I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago she's she's not familiar with the Dexter universe but found it a a good tv show to jump in on because uh, it kind of is a, a a soft reboot shall we call it and still got the high ratings I see and a couple of other people I know watching it said they're really enjoying it so it seems to be hitting all the right notes pretty early on which is great 
Indeed, uh, I've finished uh, season eight of Modern Family. I've really slowed down my my Modern Family watching. I was obviously watching a lot of it uh, several episodes ago, but it's kind of getting to the point where I would say the first five seasons of the show, fantastic, and it's kind of just, I don't know whether it's getting a bit too familiar or it's just kind of lost its charm. I, I just find myself not being able to watch too many episodes in a row now, so it's taking me a little bit longer to get through. Uh, so a couple more seasons of that show to go and it's a little bit frustrating because on Netflix here in New Zealand there is only it only goes up to season 10 but I know there's a a 11th season so uh, it's going to be frustrating to end this show and then have to somehow wait for season 11 to to come around but hopefully that will appear on one of the one of the platforms presumably Netflix in the near future. It's interesting you talk about um, the first few seasons being good because there are so few shows that I think truly go the distance. Because and even in the comedy space, I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking of like The Simpsons or Big Bang Theory or even more recently something like Superstore. There's just you, I, I kind of get to the point where I'm like, and we talked about it last week. I was the same with Big Mouth. I'm, I'm kind of like, there's certain shows where just a few seasons is enough for me. Yeah, I, look, I agree. I think, um, look, even though, like, I'm a big Office fan, and even that was sort of by the ninth season, starting to be like, it's time to kind of wrap this up. Mm. And actually, I do wonder with Modern Family, like, if this, they probably could have, like, maybe put a bond on it around sort of season six, season seven. Um, but I guess, you know, as long as these shows are making money, I'm sure there's an audience for it. Um, and it's, it's great sort of filler TV, I guess. Um, Speaking of, I've also been sort of fellow TV and comedy shows. I've also just been continuing my watch of Curb Your Enthusiasm, just sort of slowly working my way through season two. Nowhere near the, the end of that season, just watched the first few episodes. But I'm having a fantastic time, Paul. I'm so glad to be back in this universe. It's become our um, go-to every night. In fact, I don't know about you, but if you ever have one of those nights where you're like, yeah, you're planning on watching two episodes of a show, so you're watching a, two episodes and you're going to finish with a, a palate cleanser. But by the second episode of the show, I don't know, maybe you're feeling tired or whatever, and you make, you've got to make a call because you can't fit everything in there. So you either finish the two episodes of the show you're going to watch and cut your palate cleanser, or you, you cut the show you're watching and go straight to the palate cleanser. Every time that happens to us, if one of us is tired or whatever, we cut whatever we're watching because we're not going to miss out on an episode of Curb. That's how good it is. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's um, it's so good, and it's a it's a show that I also find. Still, so, so with Modern Family, I could probably watch that show and kind of browse on my phone at the same time. With Curb, I like to just fully immerse myself in it. I like to be device down, yep. fully sort of paying attention and just and really leaning into it. I'm I'm so grateful to you for bringing this to my attention because I I just cannot believe how old it is. It's it's 21 years old. And it is, as you said last week, sort of showing its age, but I'm so glad to have discovered it. And I feel like it's I've discovered it at just the right time because I've just recently really enjoyed that rewatch of Seinfeld and we were just looking for a palate cleanser and we nearly jumped into Modern Family and I think we've got 10 more. Well, actually, we've nearly finished season two. I don't know where you're up to, but yeah. Yeah, so we're in the early days of season two. And that's about all I've been watching, Paul, apart from the shows that we've watched together. How about yourself? What have you been up to? Cool. So uh, my James Bond rewatch continues. 1973's Live and Let Die. James Bond, 
sent to stop a diabolically brilliant heroin magnate armed with a complex organization and a reliable psychic tarot card reader. So begins the Roger Moore era of James Bond. And it's not good at all. <laughs> it's, it's, and that, can I just quickly, quickly before you say anything, just jump in and say that is not on Roger Moore at, at all. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about him in a minute, but as a movie, this is just not great. It, it's, it's, it misfires for all of the reasons that I always talk about things misfiring for. It's all on the script for me. It doesn't rate too badly. So I'd say, um, that there are, there's obviously an audience out there that, that does like this, but, um, yeah, it's, it's okay though, because there are some really good Roger Moore Bond movies coming up that I know I really love. And I did have a latent memory that I didn't like this one as much anyway. So it didn't come as too much of a surprise, I guess. That's interesting. I was going to ask you, were you, did you go into this with a, a memory of it not being a good film? Um, that's a shame. That's a, it's a shame that, you know, you've had a pretty good run of these movies to have one that just didn't really land for you. Yeah, it's straight to the bottom of the pack. I mean, I'll take back everything I said about Thunderball. It's um, it's just, yeah, it's it's the, the story just doesn't work. Roger Moore is good. He, for me, and it's a shame for him, I guess. Well, it doesn't matter now. It's a long time ago. But he, he really hits the ground running as Bond for me, just how Connery did straight off the bat with Dr. No. It's the same here. And to be fair, you know, he's coming into this. I don't know how you follow Sean Connery. I mean, he's, but he's sharp. He delivers his lines really well. He's funny without going too far into that. He, he really offers something different. And as much as I'm already, you know, missing Sean Connery as Bond, I am really excited to rediscover the, the Roger Moore performances. And again, and we talk about this a lot, the beauty of doing a rewatch all the way through is, I think I've watched Bond movies randomly all over the place for ages, but I've never done a full run. And then to come into a fresh Bond uh, is 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 quite exciting. And so, yeah, I enjoyed it for him, but as a story, it's uh, it's horrific. And and supporting cast as well. Just quickly, I need to shout out Jane Seymour. She plays she plays Solitaire, the the psychic tarot card reader. She's good. Um, uh, Yafik Koto, who plays the villain, he's really good. I always think of him as um, he plays Parker in the first Alien movie. Um, we've got the tobacco chewing sheriff. He was funny. M, Money Penny, the guy who plays Felix Leiter. They're all they're all good, production wise, direction wise, all great. The, the director's Guy Hamilton again. He did um, Diamonds of Forever last week, and in fact, he directs next week's movie for me which is the man with the golden gun so there's nothing about the direction but this this story and so the story is around all this voodoo stuff and it's a lot of mystic return from the dead um psychics and it's not to criticize that as a genre too much but for me it doesn't work in a bond movie setting I was gonna say it feels very un-james bond and I feel like uh I imagine much like introducing a new Doctor or a new Star Trek Captain or whatever it may be, I think you want to go with something quite classic when you're introducing a new Bond. Like, 100%. you don't want too many variables. You want what people are comfortable with. That's it. That is, you, I couldn't put it any better. You, you, want to, you want to take all of the right ingredients from all of the previous Bond movies, what was successful about them, and not go with something so vividly different. Um, and 
you know, when I talked about it on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I sort of said how some of the, you know, the uh, the drug induced therapy that, that that was going on was a bit weird. This is this knocks it out of the pack. But um, but there we go. We can't win them all. Um, the, I watched uh, Paul McCartney play live in Auckland a couple of years ago, and his performance of Live and Let Die live is a thousand times better than this this whole movie. Um, so there we go. It's no good. No good at all. No good. Um, moving on, uh, this is something new series that we, Dada and I, have watched, uh, and it's uh, it's available to watch on Neon here in New Zealand. It's called The Outsider, um, which is a 10-episode series. Um, investigators are confounded over an unspeakable crime that has been committed. This this is a Stephen King novel adaptation, and it takes a genre that I love, you know, classic cop series, and it mixes in a genre that I guess I'm not always prone to sort of, you know, seeking out, as it were, you know, the supernatural element. And in taking those two things together, it's it's, it's really interesting because it means that the cop side of things, if you imagine, so, so it's a, um, Ben Mendelsohn, who plays director Krennic, that's how I was thinking of him in Rogue One. He's the lead in this. He's really good. He, he kind of has a bit of a Bosch vibe, actually. But if you could imagine the Bosch TV series and all of the people at the Hollywood Homicide are trying to work with a crime that's not of this world, it's a very different type of thing. And yet it's still got that, it's still got that um, real vibe about it. They don't, that none of the cops buy into the fact that it could be something supernatural, not of this world. So I quite enjoyed that. And yeah, so really great cast. Then we have Jason Bateman. He also directs a couple of episodes as well. Um, I think he actually does the first two, which I thought were the strongest episodes. It's one of those series that starts off exceptionally strong. And whilst it doesn't finish badly, I don't think it ever quite peaks beyond where it started. Um, That would be my one sort of criticism, I I guess. But um, yeah, it was definitely worth a watch. And I think for people you know Stephen King fans or sort of horror supernatural fans may enjoy this more than I did and I still thought it was definitely worth worth a look it's this has very much been on my on my watch list for a a long time and all of those components that you talked about so Ben Mendelsohn Stephen King Jason Bateman all kind of big draw cards to um, hook me in Uh, but I just haven't quite made it to check it out yet and I think it was actually the 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 horror element that you know often when I suggest oh should we check out this one that always kind of gets it a bit downvoted in their house but um, look I'm still very much interested. Yeah, it's it's got a lot going on. It's it's well produced. The 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 the, the characters, the villain, this this horrific, really horrible crime that happens in the very first episode, right the way through to the end, is very so classic Stephen King um Richard Price developed this for TV he's he did a great job I was looking at his back catalog he did The Wire Color of Money with you know Tom Cruise and Paul Newman I've never read the book obviously but it didn't feel at any point like um didn't feel weird like sometimes novel adaptations can feel not quite right or then you'll speak to someone who's read the book and they're like oh yeah yeah you you definitely need to read the book and it, it didn't have that at all so there's even some um some it vibes in there not the full horror extent but just a little bit of it um so if you do watch it or if anyone has watched it i'd be interested to hear what you thought of it um i would just 
my one other criticism so it's 10 episodes i feel like they could have easily done this in seven or eight and that would have been just right which is something you and i say quite a lot about a lot of shows but hey it's no real biggie i did definitely enjoy it and um i feel like if i'm enjoying it people that enjoy those sort of things will, will probably get a lot more out of it than even i did I feel like TV shows should come to us all and we'll assess how many episodes they get based on the the strength of the content. Like maybe we should, you know, give that sort of review service to people before it even goes out to the public. Too long. Cut it back. So like a little, Add another episode. It's a little side hustle for us so that this becomes the main job and that's the side hustle. Mm, mm. Like we're already, we're already watching, you know. Yeah. We could easily get our red pen and scissors out. No drama. That would be an absolute pleasure to do that so um so yeah so that's the outsider that's uh it's hbo series uh, it's available here in new zealand on neon other than that and other than kirby enthusiasm uh the rest of the stuff dan is all stuff that you and i have watched together shall we jump on in to yellowstone yeah let's go across so we're now season four episode four winning or learning Jamie receives some surprising news. Beth receives an offer. Jimmy settles in on the road and tensions boil over in the bunkhouse, don't they, Just? I don't know if I could love this show anymore, Paul. Like, I know I talked a little bit of smack about it last week, as I as I like to do here on my high horse. Mm-hmm. But I I love this episode. I loved everything about it. I love the kind of the the tone, the pace, some of the scenes. I thought, you know, this is a a show where there's lots of different character groups and they gave us just a little bit with each of them and I really enjoyed that. You know, there's other shows we watch where they don't quite know how to manage all these characters, yes. but this show just has that balance down so well. No, you're absolutely right because actually that was one of the notes I made was I put five stories. And so what I mean by that is by my count, I thought there was five separate stories going on in this episode. And I just thought, as you said, that they moved from one to the next really well, really good pacing. I really enjoyed this change of focus as well in this episode to to, to Jamie, who we haven't seen a, a lot of and who, of course, is such a prominent member of the the family and, and suspected for so much. Um, I really thought... I thought that that whole Jamie story right through to the final scene was really well done with him, you know, with with, with his 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 genetic his, his actual father, biological father, sorry, um, Casey, and of course John watching from a distance. I really enjoyed the Jamie story. Yeah, no, it was good, wasn't it? And I another thing I really actually appreciated about this episode is Jamie actually saying the only reason you're not in jail yourself, Casey, is because I've been intervening yes. with the law. Because like we said. In the early episodes, like, why is Casey just allowed to go on, like, a killing spree, killing everyone? And it was good to know that, actually, they noted that as a show and kind of dealt with that little story. Out. So good, then. And that, that was, that was you know, you talk about talking smack. That was me last week. That was, I was saying, oh, you know, can Casey really get away with these things? That's when it starts to be, oh, I want this to feel real. And that, that did it all because Jamie does have that power within Montana. I also appreciate the little scenes. Um, oh, there's a lot of great scenes in this episode but it's kind of like the real western scene so when Casey and John are talking and it's kind of like half sentences yep no words need to be spoken you kind of say something everyone thinks on it minimal dialogue but it's just so like so impactful and I think I've got to give a special shout out to you know that the Beth Dutton 
uh, storyline when when she's telling John um, what he needs in his life to, to get back on track, and he's like, I love our man-to-man chats, but this is going too far. <laughs> yeah, that was so a, good. That was a great line. It really was. Um, I, it's funny, you just talk about the, the, the John Casey scenes and the half sentences and just giving a look and whatever, and I was talking to someone this week about Yellowstone, and I was using Costner as the big draw card, and they straight away said, oh, I've never been into that that big into Costner to be honest and I was kind of like to be honest and though massive in the 80s and 90s movies I was never hugely into Kevin Costner I was trying to say to them and I nearly dialed you in it was like I had to phone a friend I was like this is his signature role this is what he was born for he is so great in this and it's what you just described there before is just one of those things where he can just just play off a whole scene opposite someone just by by giving them a look or or not giving them a look. It's great. Um, so good, so good. And speaking of um, Kevin Costner, I've really had a real desire to watch Dances with Wolves of late, and I just can't find it anywhere, and it's so frustrating. I I need to find the DVD, I think, or the, the Blu-ray. It's probably on Paramount Plus. That's where a lot of the stuff is that we can't watch. I won't go there. Let's, let's, not, let's, not, let's not dirty this review with that. Um, can I say, though, as much as I love the Jamie review, probably the best story for me in this episode was was the jimmy story and i was actually terrified at one point that there was going to be a car crash you know but the the guy was tired and i couldn't cope with that with everything else jimmy's gone through but i cannot wait to see what is in store for jimmy in texas and even though all we had in this episode was a road trip i just found it really good dialogue i thought the 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 back and forth between him and um taylor sheridan it is who plays yeah travis yeah yeah, uh, talented guy you know he's a writer and he's done some great stuff and he just played that smarmy travis character so so well but yeah jefferson white as jimmy i really rate him as an actor and i just thought that yeah of the five stories that for me was the one i enjoyed the most Indeed, indeed. I, I think, you know, I thought we were just sort of recapping the whole episode. I, I also really enjoyed the the Rip story as well, just in both in terms of him uh, managing the, the young boy, but more importantly, sorting out the bunkhouse. And I love, I love the rule of the bunkhouse. It's like, like there's no fighting in the bunkhouse, Paul. If you want to fight someone, you fight me. I'll fight you all day. I He's such a badass. Like, I don't know if Rip could be any cooler. <laughs> he's he and he he certainly knows how to throw a punch because that whole Lloyd story was, you know, I was I'm wondering where it's going because everyone loves Lloyd. I don't, know, I don't know, I do, and and seeing him do the things he was doing in the wrong way and having John, you know, John criticize him, I really felt that. And then of course Rip comes in and like you say, if it, there's no fighting in the bunkhouse, if you're going to start throwing punches, see, I think this is a this is a storyline or sort of story act building as a as a bit of a side one because obviously Lloyd as a character is. Is, is the oldest guy in the bunkhouse. Mm. He's he's been around a long time. He's probably, I imagine, had a, a pretty rough and hard life the way his character's described. He's probably, you know, heading towards that sort of retirement or there's yeah. definitely a lot of miles on the clock. And I wonder whether this is going to be a storyline of someone aging out of the only life they've known. I really, I thought the same thing and I went to a dark place, Dan, because I started thinking, what is the way out for Lloyd? I, I, I worry train stop yeah that's rip's gonna take him <laughs> and that train as i understand it only goes in one direction so um i actually saw just a real brief aside uh, there's a there's a video on imdb with um with uh wes bentley who plays jamie and um 
what's his name who plays Rip Cole Cole Hauser, and they they talk about things they love and they talk about um, Lloyd Forey uh, J Smith. They say the best thing you'll ever see on Yellowstone is watching is watching Forey Smith trying to run. And they talk about him and he just sounds like a great guy. And I just, I have a horrible feeling he's on the way to the train. Yeah. I, look, I don't know if they'd do that to, to Lloyd, to be honest. But, um, you know, I don't know. I I would more imagine he might meet some untimely demise, which would be unfortunate. But look, this is this is a great show, Paul. I just, I love it so much. I, I can't talk higher about it. I think what you said last week resonated with me so much as we were watching it this week, just thinking I really want to watch this in one sitting. I want to, or not necessarily one sitting, but just yeah, like every night I want it until it's done. I, 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 when you get into that mode, you get into that zone. Um, that would be a recommendation to anyone who hasn't seen Yellowstone and is interested would be, to just maybe wait until it's all done and just go save it because that would be that was how I discovered Sopranos that was how I discovered Breaking Bad and those were two of the greatest watching experiences ever it's good stuff good stuff Dan you can watch that on Neon here in New Zealand uh, and I imagine Paramount uh, overseas <laughs> but let's not talk about that let's not shall we uh, shuffle on over to Walking Dead the world beyond Yep, so we're getting close now down to the end. Season 2, Episode 8, Returning Point. Uh, the group sets a new plan into motion. A relationship is leveraged. A betrayal forces others to take action. And listeners can use the timestamp in the notes if they don't watch The Walking Dead to forward on ahead to the movie of the week because it's time for us to dive in to this Walking Dead episode. Dan, over to you. Um. Not too bad of an episode, Paul, in the scheme of things. Yep. Like, I think last week's episode was maybe slightly better, but I'm appreciating the the speed and the pace that they're kind of moving the story in. I'm appreciating the disruption they're bringing to the CRM. Um, I, I've still got my usual frustrations with the various characters, and I actually feel like they've actually really sidelined the kids who are the world beyond core cast. Yes. That, so much so that they're, they're, they barely feature. The secondary characters and, now, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you, Paul. If someone ever lines me up and they're about to like shoot my shoot my whole tribe clan, I, I, I'm gonna write. Like, I'm not just gonna take it. But it's really. I think that's the one thing that's sort of so weird about the show is there's such a weird like arts and culture vibe to this sort of breakout clan, and just these weird power dynamics and like it's interesting. But I'm I'm looking forward to the final two. Yeah, I am too. And I, I share your sentiment about it being good, but not as good as last week, but that's fine because last week was probably the the best episode we've had of this entire series, full stop. The Silas is a character who, you know, could have been someone, he's been a nothing story for ages. I thought, you know, I felt like he was pretty much done. It was only because he came to the fore right at the end, at the right moment with a gun, that he's got some sort of character left there because Elton, he's done. He's, he's he's no good now. Huck, as you said last week, again, isn't throwing her weight around enough. Her body language is all timid and I feel like she needs to step up in these last two episodes. But this, there was a lot of good stuff in here. I feel like all of the, the focus again on the, the Civic Republic, that internal sort of cat and mouse, what's going on on the inside, um, that's that's really good. I do have a question for you, which I'll save to the end. But um, I saw New Zealand made an appearance 
very briefly the big globe structure that they were building at the start uh, focused right in on New Zealand that was nice Julia Morn was back she reminds me of an old boss an old boss of a boss actually that I didn't really like so it makes it really easy to dislike her although I was wanting to see her reaction at the end uh, to what disruption had been caused but of course we only saw her in the flashback from two years previously so that was a bit of a shame but yeah no, there was this was an enjoyable episode. It's two in a row. And so that's given me some hope, no pun intended, that the last two episodes could could be a strong finish. Yeah, look, I, I think it's, it's interesting, right? I still don't know where the overall plot is going. And there's still something like deep, deep down inside me, Paul, that like wants like a Rick Grimes reveal or the name or something that's just like, like that is that. Like every time they kind of talk about other people or talk about a bit of history, I want them to say the word Rick Grimes and I never get it, but I, I want it. So, um, yeah, look, uh, we, we've said everything that can be said about the show, Paul. I think, okay episode, looking forward to the final two. I reckon let's, let's talk about fear because I think it's, there's an interesting, uh, interesting correlation this week. Um, because Fear the Walking Dead had quite a big CRM presence. And I don't know about you, but having just watched World Beyond and then Fear, it it kind of muddled the storyline a little bit for me. It muddled it, but it also, the, the flip side of that is it gave some consistency between those two stories. Because even just the simple things like seeing the CRM with the same guns, with the three prongs and the, the uniforms being completely identical. I mean, it's a small thing, but for me, for someone like me, it's an important detail that just ties those things together. But in in fear, the CRM are just thugs, it seems like, in this episode. And um, I kind of struggled with that a little bit. So this is season seven, episode six, Reclamation. Morgan is off searching for Al, only to discover he's not the only one looking for her. And that may have put a target on his back. And in principle, Dan, I really liked the idea of this episode. But the big thing for me that the writers have overlooked, or at least for Walking Dead fans like me, is that because we just don't have any connection to Al's um, partner, Isabel. I I checked. I looked because, you know, I like the detail. She's only turned up twice in 2019. We had one cameo from her last year, last season. So it's not enough for me to feel invested in that story of that character. But um, yeah, there was there was some interesting things in this episode. But the CRM part, as you say, Dan, was, was quite interesting. Yeah, it was... Uh... I think I enjoyed the having the CRM in both because it kind of gave you a bit of a, a CRM in the field perspective. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I I didn't connect with this episode of Fear as much as the other ones. I found the story like I think this had potential to be a good storyline because Elle's kind of an interesting character, but I found her a bit annoying. There was other characters, I like I'm still frustrated that we haven't seen Alicia, but yet we've seen Morgan now multiple times. And I, you know, I actually found the way that they killed the CRM people in this episode a bit of a, like, almost like gore for the sake of gore. Yeah. And there was no need, for spoilers, to blast the cannonball through those guys. Like, there was just no need. Like, it was, it was a great effect and, like, I appreciated the – the, the way the scene came together, but it was kind of just over-the-top violence for no reason. Yeah, no, it was. In fact, that was my question. I've got two questions. I didn't ask you my will be on question, but my question I had for you for fear was why are we 
having to use a cannon to take out these two guys. Why didn't we, why didn't Grace just take out those guys with the guns? You know, on, they've got this six wheel drive armored military swap vehicle thing. Why didn't they just use the guns? Who, the theatrics were poor as well. They were like, Grace, get down. So Grace drops and then the vehicle moves and then they shoot the cannon. It's like, if I was one of those guys, I would not be stood in the same position for as long as it took them to take out that maneuver. So that was pretty poor. I also think that the way that they loaded shrapnel into it, there would have been a high chance that Al would have got blasted with some shrapnel. Thousand percent. Um, yeah, just it, I don't know. It just it seems so forced to me for for no reason. I found it then kind of frustrating when Al finally connected back with her partner, and they were like, "Should we go on the run? Mm. Oh, the CRM will always chase us. I can't have that." Like it was just it felt like a real like paper thin kind of story that hadn't been well thought out um and i just found it a, a, a bit weak for a fear of the walking dead episode yeah poor episode this is a, this is a show that's been good for three seasons i would put this as one of the weakest episodes certainly the weakest of this season you know six episodes in we've still got two more two more episodes to go till the you know the end of the mid-season break but um yeah i there are there's still things in it I enjoyed, like even when they had the the scenes on the videotape and we see Daniel. Every time I hear Daniel talk, I'm like, I want to see more Daniel. I think he's just a great character. I just love his voice. Seeing Elle, as you said, was was good, but she's, you know, Maggie Grace is a guest starring credit in this show, and yet as you say, we're seeing we're seeing her now a couple of times, and we still haven't we still haven't seen Alicia. I mean, I, that's just the. The, the elephant in the room it, it really is but um i do still love the look of this universe well not this universe this this fear the walking walking dead world that we find ourselves in everything's this mustardy orange and it's it is literally a whole new show with the the changed landscape and i'm really I, i'm still quite in, enjoying that at least yeah no it's it, look it's good i think it's i think they've done well with this whole sort of overall storyline um it's just when you're when you're doing a deep dive into these shows it just forces you to really compete them to the other episodes and you know because we're we're kind of being lifelong walking dead fans we're, we're well invested in these characters in the universe and and i guess ultimately where we want it to go yeah no exactly i'll just quickly comment on your remark on world beyond i think if they were to finish that series on the final shot of of a door opening and rick grimes is there just a shot and that that's enough that will just get enough media attention it will get so much media exposure that it might actually make a few people go back and watch world beyond my question to you was going to be what do you think someone who's watching world beyond without having watched any other walking dead before actually thinks of the show because my mind my instinct is well this can't be a good experience but then does it mean for them because they haven't got the the history of rick and daryl and glenn and michonne does that then mean that their expectations are different and they're enjoying their show more than we are? I can't even begin to imagine, Paul, <laughs> of someone that's been their first Walking Dead experience. Um, like if it is and, and you're enjo- if this is your first experience and you're enjoying it, then great news. There's lots of other great Walking Dead content out there for you when this is done. Yeah. And I, I think if, like if we weren't doing a podcast about it, I probably would have long switched off on the show. Like unless I was talking to someone like yourself about it, I, I don't know if the the carrot would have been there enough to sort of keep me going. Yeah, I think it's the the fear of 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 someone showing up or a big moment and not being there for that. That that's all that's keeping me going. But you're no, you're a hundred percent right, and we've got I, two more to go. 
I've got a question for you, and I don't think this will be the case because I think, as you mentioned last week, it's already aired on AMC Plus or whatever they call their yeah. network. Um, how would you like if, if Rick Grimes did appear on it? And I think this would have been well spoiled on the internet by now. Mm. How would you like him to like? Would you like it like you know some doors open and he's kind of, he's actually the man in charge, or is he actually like locked up somewhere? Like, wh- how would you like to see him involved in in the storyline? I think. I think I don't think it could be anything in between what you've just described. I think he either has to be a prisoner, and that confirms everything that we're starting to feel about the the Soviet Republic, or the real shock factor: he's running the show. That would be that would be unlikely, and that would just be raising a lot of questions. And I I would love that because it would really mix things up. Um, but yeah, I I guess my answer is sort of tainted by. The fact that I'm expecting at least one movie, maybe three, and I'm thinking, how do I want that story to play out? Do I want him to be the head of this Republic military? I don't know. I um, but I would, I would love no dialogue. I just want to see the face. I, I don't actually want to have him speak, which sounds weird. It's kind of like the Luke Skywalker moment at the end of Force Awakens, just to know he's there, and that gives me the, that gives me the the spark to see the next thing. Mm-hmm. Well. Time will soon reveal all. So we'll be reviewing those episodes before the end of the year. Indeed, we will. So, yeah, should we pop across then to this week's movie of the week? Indeed. So each week, Paul and I take turns reviewing different movies of the week. If you would like to find out what that movie is, then you should probably come along and join our Discord channel. This week, we're reviewing the 2020 Raoul Dahl movie, The Witches. If you haven't read the book... A young boy and his grandmother have a run-in with some witches and their leader. Uh, it is the classic Roald Dahl story. I, um, I, 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 I can't remember too much about the book. I remember the original movie. I don't think it lived up to the original, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it for what it is. There was something in there for adults, something in there for kids. So for me, it was a movie I could watch as a family and we could all just laugh and enjoy. And an hour 46 just flew by. I enjoyed this a lot more than I expected. And particularly given how low it's rated with both critics, IMDb and, and anywhere else, I think. How about you? I've got quite a different view, Paul. Um, so I... A big fan of Roald Dahl growing up. I'd always, always be reading the books. Um, read them several times as a as a young man. Um, I remember when the 1990 movie came out, The Witches, with Angelica Houston. Yes. And I really, I remember really loving that movie. And it really kind of like uh, been a bit of a twist for me of how scary the witches were uh, in that movie. And it was such a uh, a shock factor to actually see that and in, in, on a movie on TV for kids. Now, I think as you as you said, I don't think that this movie quite lives up to that original movie or the book. I think it's got quite a fantastic cast: mm. Anne Hathaway, Octavia Spencer, um, Stanley Tucci, Jazar uh, Bruno, like oh, fantastic. I. F- <sighs> I didn't find this movie fun and I kind of thought they pushed the boat of 
almost kind of horror out a little bit too far considering this is a, a PG and I felt like it kind of lost the spirit of um, Raul Dahl movies or maybe lost is a, is a bit strong. It flipped in and out of it being kind of family-friendly witches and having fun to actually being kind of like these terrifying characters and these terrifying scenes of witches chasing kids under stairs and turning them into mice and I, I just it was missing the fun factor for me yeah it's interesting the balance because the special effects i thought were good but actually because they were so good it made it quite scary at times and there were some moments that made us jump quite quite dramatically you know like like if you're watching it chapter two or something it was it had that sort of factor um mm. but um no i definitely hear what you're saying i guess i think i just had much lower expectations coming in as i came out sort of please so you know how sometimes that can influence how you feel about it but um i thought maybe they overused the special effects sometimes but sometimes i thought it was i just i found that hilarious like when it, you know turning into a chicken i mean it's just simple but it was a genuine laugh out loud moment for me i thought the sets were great there's lots of lights and color and i thought the plot moved along quite a nice speed as i said it went really fast for me um but um yeah, it's interesting because I I came into this movie like quite looking forward to watching it. I thought it'd be great to watch a um, a remake of this uh, movie that's thirty years old now. Mm. And I I look, I do think the actual cast did a good job. I just think it kind of had a I guess what the hat that I had on watching this is I if I had young people I would kind of be just like Are you guys okay watching this? Like it just seemed like it didn't have the the enough of the sort of the the childish sort of fun to it but in saying that like I, i'm probably talking rubbish because I, i've literally just said to you the first movie was quite a bit scarier than i ever expected so um i don't know maybe it was just it had a real american horror story vibe to me oh, yeah. and it seemed like a real dark undertone throughout the whole movie and yeah i don't know it just it it didn't um it just didn't resonate or land as well with me <laughs> at the risk of embarrassing myself in front of everyone i you know, I just feel like I'm, you know, I I let my 12-year-old watch Terminator, Alien, Predator, and I guess I guess when I sort of wear it up, I just, at no point did I look over at him and think, are you right? Because maybe that says something about me rather than him. I don't know. But um, yeah, look, I fully hear what you said. Look, we wouldn't have watched it with our seven-year-old daughter. So so yeah, so, so your point is well taken. And I guess that's what you mean is, is, is the younger the younger kids but um but the positives for me in this one the things i made a note of i wrote down Anne hathaway's name and octavia spencer's name and uh, and Anne hathaway for me was i just thought she can just go from role to role so well and i hadn't noticed that about it before but even recently i've seen her go from like romance and modern love and then we saw her in dark waters you know when we re- reviewed that earlier this year and i felt like her and octavia spencer and that sort of good evil vice versa were, were really good and and octavia spencer as well i thought she was really good as the grandmother and i loved her manner and the way she delivered her lines and to be honest with you i really needed uh to see octavia in that kind of role after the travesty that you and i witnessed um which i think was like our second to bottom movie of the week ever that thunder force movie so that was quite welcome as well and stanley tucci again so different to you know, like Hunger Games, just just a great actor, eh? 
And it was good also, I guess, having like Chris Rock kind of narrate this whole movie. Like he's got such a unique voice and tone to it all. Like, that yeah. kind of does make it um it does make it fun. The other thing for me, you know, we obviously we all, we all often talk about posters. I thought the poster for this was real classy. I thought it had a real nice design. But the music in this I thought was brilliant. I would say this is one of the best soundtracks of the year. So just um there was sitting on the dock of the bay, there was um um there was reach out there was a lot of classics sort of 60s soul music mm-hmm. and i thought that really i wasn't expecting that with a roll doll movie and it just it kind of worked for me so yeah there we go yeah yeah look look i'm probably being overly dramatic because i think you know just using your point before like i feel like going into a terminator movie you know exactly what you're getting you go into the alien movie you know what you're getting whereas i feel like it's just with us it's yeah, just a just just a weird one for me. Um, in fact, it made me almost want to go back and watch the original, which I see is also on Neon at the moment. Yeah, um, but yes. I, I wasn't able to sell that business case in this household. Well, the sponsor sometimes can take some convincing. Perhaps the podcast will do it. But um, the other, the final thing I want to say is the director. You've got the director, the writer of Back to the Future, Castaway, Forrest Gump, Robert Zemeckis. Is that you say? I've always wondered how you say his last name. That that for me was just a, I don't know. He, he he delivered a movie the type of which I haven't seen from him in a long, long time. So I also kind of enjoyed that too. I think I play. I think I probably put too much emphasis on what the ratings are before I go in to a movie, and it influences my thinking. And on that note, Dan, we have something in our mailbag um, that touches on that, and I'll be asking you a question soon. I look forward to it. Shall I take? Oh, should we give it a review before we uh, move on? How many guns for you, Paul? Oh, look, I'll be honest. It's still only a two guns, but I had a good time. How about you? Yeah, maybe, maybe one and a half for me. Yep, fair enough. Yep. All right, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Let's go. Not a lot going on over here today, but a, a couple of things. So, Kevin Spacey, who you may remember from House of Cards and many other. Mm. Great movies, unfortunately. Um, has $31 million in damages to be paid for being fired from House of Cards. $31 million. So basically arbitrators have um, now ruled in favor of the production company, saying that he basically violated the terms of his contract and he'll have to pay $31 million for breaching their contract. Concur. Crazy. That is a lot of money. That is that is a fair whack of money, right? Um, Ridley Scott has got a live action Blade Runner and Alien TV series being developed with plots written. That that that's 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 the big story of the week. That was the one thing that I was absolutely hoping you had. That is exceptionally exciting. E- either one or the other of those two things, but Blade Runner and Alien. That's amazing. So good. And already sort of thinking about um, eight to ten hours of the show. Oh, so brilliant. You know, eight to ten episodes, perfect. It's exactly what we want. We will be talking – oh, we, I can't wait till we get to that moment, Dan. Speaking of Ridley Scott, I do have a little bit of a, a frustrating headline here, is that Ridley Scott blames the last Jules box office failure on millennials, saying that cell phones and Facebook are blamed for the last Jules box office bust, basically implying that uh, people don't have the attention span, they're not used to sort of – you know, big, epic, historical pieces. And I, I don't know about you, Paul, like, I like Ridley Scott, but it annoys me when these directors come out, like when, when Martin Scorsese is like, 
ah, oh, superhero movies are dumb or yeah. like like I feel like you're a little bit tone deaf when you when you make these statements. Correct. Like you who are you making this movie for? If you want to make it for the millennial audience, then you maybe need to think differently about what you're what you're making, the story you tell and how you tell it. If you are I imagine you're Ridley Scott, you do what Ridley Scott does and you you want to do a big historical masterpiece, then you kind of need to accept that maybe you need to consider different ways of getting this movie out to out to your audience. I've heard similar things being said by directors like Francis Ford Coppola and and often some of the most successful and well-renowned directors that we love their material, but I feel like part of their personality, uh, and I've heard this with Tarantino again, so that probably fits the bill, part of their personality is so arrogant and so... It's, it's part of the strength that enables them to deliver what they do, but it means that they can't see outside of their lane. They've got a very singular vision, and that's that. Do you know what? Just keep it to yourself, mate. It's frustrating, isn't it? Because I feel like there's an, this market and space is big enough for everyone to play, and I don't think the way to people's hearts is by slagging off another genre. It's it, That's it. Straight away, no good can come of it. No good can mm. come of it. Indeed. And last bit of news. So Kathleen Kennedy, uh, who you may know from the Star Wars, um, Lucasfilms, all, all things related to, the, to that genre, mm. has come out and said that we may see more of some of the characters we've recently seen in the trilogy. So that may be more Ray, May Finn, more, more Poe. And it's interesting, right, because when we had the final movie, it was kind of implied this is the end of these story arcs. But these are big characters. And I've, I was always kind of surprised at that statement. Like, yes, we might not get more movies, but surely these characters have got many more stories to be told. So pretty exciting that Kathleen Kennedy and the team are starting to talk about it. And obviously there's so much great stuff happening in the Star Wars uh, universe right now. I hopefully we'll see more in all sorts of different mediums. I'm very excited about that. I remain a very big fan of the sequels despite the things we've talked about before and i won't go there now but i feel like those characters through the medium of television could be very successful medium of medium of television i think is the key yeah and they don't even all have to be live action like we can get we can have more animated stories like there's so much we can do definitely definitely that's about me for the news desk paul anything on your end uh just a couple of little things here so um, firstly, I saw the Matrix posters this week. They looked, um, you know, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, Keanu Reeves, Gary uh, Moss, they looked awesome. Um, the New Zealand comedy uh, Creamery that we reviewed some time ago, back in podcast sixty-three, in fact, that series is finally going to be airing in North America on starting nine December on Hulu. So that was. Um, that was a massive hit here. We both enjoyed it. And so it's great that the US get to see that. And then the other thing I had, and again, more New Zealand news, the the Kiwi film um, Bellbird, um, which was, I would, I would go so far as to say as being my my favourite uh, New Zealand movie of, of the year. Um, that That has won the best film of 2021 at the big, French film festival um, that was uh, that happened this week. So I, I thought that was a a massive a massive coup for them. That was a, a movie I reviewed in podcast sixty. So that was pretty awesome. And then finally, um, a lot of the cast and crew of Star Trek Discovery have 
taken to social media to apologize to fans about the fiasco that is the Star Trek um, streaming nightmare. And unlike my unfiltered rant last week, there has been a lot of really interesting, more considered articles published this week, um, including a really good one that was from Wired that Virgil shared in our Discord community. Long story short, no one is happy. And that also includes a large portion of the American Trek fans who who do have access, but have chosen to boycott the show and a show of strength with um, Star Trek fans worldwide. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't really like the fact that they've done that, mainly for the sake of the Curse and Crew, but I'd say that is a massive ups to them because I don't know that I could say that I would do that. If the Australians didn't have Star Trek and we did, I don't know... <laughs> I'm not even going to try and lie. There's no way that I wouldn't be watching it. Um, that's that is quite that is quite a thing. So um, that was yeah. That's that's what I think. That, that's the power of a community, right? And I think when you see a community come together like that, there's so much power in that, and there's so much influence that that can have on on studios. I can't imagine Paramount necessarily reversing their decision, but. It, it's really just highlighted me since this fiasco, Paul, how many shows that I really enjoy are, are produced via Paramount. And it's made me super nervous that, like, Yellowstone 1883, the only place to watch it is Paramount+. Plus. When are we getting it, Paul? Now I need to know. You know, I was kind of passively on the sidelines, but I'll be I'll be out there picketing. We need this here in New Zealand ASAP. I don't want to buy another streaming service, but I'm going to have to. I feel like I'm Emperor Palpatine set up here with all this anger inside me about Star Trek and what's going on. And I'm seeing you as this this good person who I, but I can see the anger starting to flow through you. And I'm really wanting to, to really encourage that anger because I want I to wear the it. brand, Paul. I don't let the brand wear me. <laughs> and I need access to the Yellowstone content. Your hate has made you powerful. Um, I look forward to that because um, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to come. But let's, let's save that conversation for if and when it does. Um mailbag time then um and first up i'm delighted to say george lazenby one of the six actors in the history who have of james bond who have played james bond he liked our review of on her majesty's secret service on his official instagram page this week um that's right up there for me to get a like from bond i'm i'm so glad it was a better movie uh, review than what I gave Live and Let Die today. Um, but yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. How old is George Lazenby, Paul? Uh, he's 83. So Wow. Yeah. Oh, impressive. Yeah, and, and he's he regularly posts online as well and he, he always gets involved. And same he does on Twitter as well. He, he still gets involved with his uh, fans specifically for that one Bond movie. I mean, what a, what a great life to live just to have been Bond once and just to always be part of that community. Always be one of those photos when they, they picture all the, all the Bonds together. He's always there. I think that's great. Um, question for you, Dan, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, so this is from our old EastEnder, Tony from Dagnum. He's, uh, he's making his way back through the, the half measures back catalog of, of greatest hits. He's, he's into the, to the twenties now. So he's still going question for you. You state, it's like almost like a lawyer putting the question. You state that you review, that you, you you view Rotten Tomatoes before you select a movie to watch. What movies have you watched despite its Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb score and enjoyed? 
All right. Um, well, there's there's a couple that come to mind. One of the, I've got one TV show for you and one um, one movie. So in this episode, I was talking about the Apple TV show C, and so that gets an average tomato score of about sixty three percent and an average average audience score of eighty seven percent. And so um, I I don't always check and I've probably become a little bit more lax in it. It's more if we're just kind of searching for a movie and we're trying to, you know, you're trying to negotiate with your other half about what you're going to watch. You might just do a quick credibility check to see if it's going to sink in. The only other movie, like, I'm sure I'm going to wake up at three in the morning thinking about other examples, but um, when Disney Plus first came out and uh, here in New Zealand, I was like, oh, I'm they've got the mighty ducks i can't wait to watch that again it's it's been years and the mighty ducks for example 21 percent on the tomato meter audience score 65 percent. i think that needs to be even higher itself you know like there's there's a lot of i think there's a lot of movies on rotten tomatoes where i think a, a critic's looking at them through a far different lens than the average viewer is so it's worth actually if the if the reviews are not looking very good or not looking very fresh in this instance, actually scrolling down to some of the comments and just sort of reading what some of the the key highlights might be. And that might, you know, help judge for yourself. A comprehensive answer, Dan, as expected. I like that. Um, thanks for the question, Tony. Now let's move across to last week's peak performance, which was for Dwayne Johnson. Um, first up is Nat from Tafanga Nuiatara. And I think you'll like this, Dan, as he went with an honourable mention for Pain and Gain and Fast and the Furious 7 and a peak performance for the character of The Rock. Now, full credit for being able to differentiate any of the seven Fast and the Furious movies that followed the first one about the DVDs, because after that they also blend into one, but he's specifically calling out Fast and the Furious 7. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, What else have I got here? Megan from Auckland. She went with uh, Jumanji, um, and a movie that also features in someone else's list, I think. Yes, it does. Uh, Norman Mission Log. He actually went with The Rundown. He added, it was sorely overlooked. And I have to say... Good movie. I've I've, I've never seen it. <laughs> that might be. I'm just going to look that up right now while we're talking just on... Um, can I find it here? Um, it might be one of those Rotten Tomatoes movies which hasn't probably reviewed very well but it might be if it's the one that i'm thinking of can't find it can't work under this pressure i'll uh, I'll, I'll keep keep on bringing out the the other ones while you look at it paddy from time traveling tink podcast uh he gave us his three two one gridiron gang moana that's uh, moana moana and jumanji welcome to the jungle i found it I am not correct. It's a 69% tomato score and a 66% uh, audience score. Okay, there you go. Um, just talking about Paddy, his co-host, quick shout out to our longest serving director, Trisha Brady. She went to Comic-Con that uh, was on over in the UK this week. She managed that and she managed to get a photo of herself with four Doctor Whos, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy and Paul McGann. As a Whovian, that must have been incredible because other than uh, other than Tom Baker, that is a photo with every single living classic Doctor Who from the 20th century. That is the holy grail. That is like the equivalent of four Jedis, four Gryffindors or or one Vin Diesel, I guess. 
<laughs> it's pretty <laughs> one Vin Diesel. Well, that you need a you need a real wide frame to get Vin Diesel in. Correct. But um, <laughs> that's a that's an impressive effort, Trisha. Like her commitment to the Doctor Who universe is second to none. I was I was excited for her just seeing the photo. I just I I cannot imagine what I would do if I was there with the four Doctors. I think I would just get taken away for asking too many questions i wouldn't cope so uh so that was awesome and that is our mailbag this week dan all right shall we head on over to our peak performance all right let's go all right then let's go across to the uh to the peak performance will smith this week dan is our peak performance i've jumped straight into the name without announcing what the feature is which of course is our weekly feature where we take it in turns to choose an actor or actress or producer or director and choose what we think is their best performance will smith this week do you want to take us away yeah i can definitely do that so will smith has a fantastic uh back catalog of uh, television and movies and here is another great example ball for my runner-up of uh 78 audience score 42 percent tomato meter Bad Boys, the original movie. <laughs> that movie is a freaking classic. I love the original Bad Boys movie. It's 100%. It's four guns. It's all the guns. It's so good. Uh, it's got such great uh, you know, action and humor and uh, that sort of buddy cop type thing. It's banging soundtrack. It's definitely my, my, my runner-up. But I'm going to have to give my actual peak performance – um, for Will Smith's The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, especially after watching the reunion show mm. um, several episodes ago. It, that was a, a top-quality TV show, and I think it actually dealt with so many big issues, um, which were probably well before its time. And Will Smith's you know, ability to kind of make you care for him, make you laugh, kind of believe in the scene is, I think, second to none. And I, I just couldn't go past Having the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is my peak performance. That's awesome. You'll be excited to know, if you didn't already, that Bad Boys 4 is in pre-production. I'm hyped. Hyped for it. Okay, that's good. Uh, I I had an honourable mention, actually, for um, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, and, you know, there's just no way it was never going to be in, in amongst my, my what I was going to talk about today. It just wouldn't be right. It's a show I watched as a teenager, and it was just that great post tea time humor just to just to enjoy you know and and as you say watching that reunion this year actually brought it home to me how much i uh, really love that show and so him at that age so raw and funny and as you say just able to convey so many different emotions fantastic absolutely fantastic and and yet i do have a different peak performance which um actually goes all the way back to 1998 and that is the enemy of the state and i always think of this movie when i think of will smith and even though he you know he's he's played bigger roles this is the one that always stayed with me because it was the first time because you know I'd, i'd enjoyed him in fresh prince so much it was the first time i had ever seen him in in a in a really serious role and i know he did independence day but i don't quite count that as that this was opposite gene hackman that's that's serious you know he's on the run he's in trouble and i just felt like he really showed in that movie that he would be 
yeah, and then he'd go on to, to to great things like like Ali and so on and so on. But this is the one for me that really stuck out. And actually, just talking about it now, I feel like I really want to rewatch this movie over Christmas or something. So yeah, Fresh Prince and Enemy of the State. Awesome, great choices as always, Paul. That probably uh, just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. We're closing in on a hundred. We're closing in on Christmas. Thanks for listening again this week. And if you want to get in touch or be in the mailbag next week, let us let us know what you're thinking. Halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social media. And as always, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevna. We couldn't do this show without your support. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone. Adios.